The following program may contain coarse language, violence, nudity, mature subject matter, or scenes which may not be suitable for all viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to give us a call, 800-610-7035 is worldwide toll-free. Our email, X-Zone at xzoneradiotv.com. On all social media sites, TV, And our site, our website, that I am told is going to be revamped, revitalized, and renewed... Sounds like something you'd hear on the shopping channel. Anyway, it's www.exoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Lieutenant Colonel Bill Cowan from the United States Marine Corps. He is now retired, and he's a highly decorated retired U.S. Marine Corps officer and a commentator since 2002 on terrorism and national security for the Fox News Channel, and he is also the co-host of his own radio show that airs Saturdays in Washington, D.C., and can be heard worldwide. We're going to let you find out about how you can listen to Bill and his show Danger Zone later on. Uh, 1966 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, Colonel Cowan served three and a half years on combat assignments in Vietnam as an infantry officer. He was a platoon commander along the DMZ during the fall of 1967 and also served as a platoon commander during the siege of Khaesan. He spent two and a half years as an advisor in the Rung Sat Special Zone, that's just south of Saigon, decorated many times for heroism. He also received three Purple Hearts for wounds received. Now, following the taking of the U.S. hostages in Iran in 1978, Colonel Cowan turned down a prestigious White House assignment to instead become the only and first Marine in the Pentagon's most classified counter-terrorist unit. While there, he conducted numerous clandestine and covert operations in the Middle East and Latin America. Notably, he was a key member of the team that went into Lebanon to hunt down those responsible for the bombing of the Marine compound in 1983. Now, working directly with CIA chief of uh, Station Chief, William Buckley, Colonel Cowan and his team developed a plan for retaliation and identified many of the targets. Regrettably, the Pentagon refused to take action. For more information on Colonel Cowan, www.colonelcowan.com. And uh, Colonel Cowan, welcome to the Exxon, sir. Thanks for inviting me, Rob. It's a privilege to be with you. Um, Colonel, you've, um, 
you've seen it all. I've gone through your bio. You have one distinguished career, sir. And um, I, I like to say this to to members of the military when I when I have the opportunity of getting them on. Thank you for everything that you and the men and women in the uh, in the armed forces around the world have done for us to make sure that democracy and freedom is is maintained. So thank you. Well, thanks, Rob. I, I think in my own case, and certainly that of most of my colleagues who serve, we, we all consider it a privilege to be able to serve our country and, and to serve your country, to, you know, to serve people, to, to try to do the, the right thing. So it's a privilege, and I appreciate you saying thank you. Colonel, what is going on in the world today? It seems that we're going to hell in a handbasket. Unbelievable. And uh, the, the problem is there's so many places to look and find things that are going on. You and I will have a wonderful interview tonight, and the whole topic of China probably won't even need to come up. But, you yeah. know, your listeners who are following the news know that we have major issues over there in China right now with the way they're operating in their own sphere of influence. But clearly, China doesn't threaten us at this point, Rob. It, it is all about ISIS. Here we were on the verge of, of having uh, most of our troops home, mm-hmm. having our fighting uh, pretty much done, done in Iraq, certainly about to end up in Afghanistan. We couldn't, couldn't categorize either one of them necessarily as victories, but we were about to have our troops home. And now this ISIS thing jumps up, and it's certainly a bigger threat than either Iraq or Afghanistan posed to us, and it's clearly something we're going to have to deal with. But, Colonel, surely the intelligence community has been feeding the information to the decision-makers in Washington that this was an ongoing threat, it was an ongoing problem, and yet to the those of us on the outside, it seems like there was no planning just in case something did happen i i think that's the uh the fact there was no planning might be the impression the white house would like to leave out there because the president certainly said we had no strategy yet Mm -hmm. i tend to believe the people inside the pentagon who say uh, quietly and some of them may come a little bit more public uh, saying that, that we really were providing the white house all the information that they needed in order to uh, identify the threat that we were facing, in order to watch it grow, mm-hmm. and in order pr- to prepare the American public. And, of course, none of those things were done. It's, it's okay to have watched ISIS grow, perhaps, and not do anything about it until they crossed the border into Iraq and swooped down through towns. But I think on some level we really wanted the American public, it, it's really incumbent upon leadership, to be making sure that the American public and the Canadian public, excuse yep. me, Rob, I don't mean to be so self-serving, but, You're not, but sir. The, the, both of our p- publics understand mm. what's going on, and, and our White House certainly didn't do any of that, and if they, indeed they knew a lot w- about what was happening and didn't talk about it, it, it goes back to the whole idea, as the president yep. had said, that, that ISIS was a JV team and Al-Qaeda was on the run, and of course, neither one of those things are necessarily true. Stand by, Colonel. We've got to take a two-minute break. Exonation, Colonel Bill Cowan is my special guest, www.colonelcowan.com. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. 
Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. Exonation. Our guest this hour is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Cowan. He's uh, retired now from the United States Marine Corps. His website is www.colonelcowan.com. That's C-O-L-O-N-E-L, Cowan.com. Colonel, um, what do we know about ISIS? What is the story behind the story? It seems that the first time we heard about ISIS in the mainstream media is, is not that long ago, but has ISIS been on the radar of the defense as well as the intelligence community long before now? Well, I'm going to tell you something interesting that I, I don't think I've said before on the media, but I have some pretty good knowledge of. When, first of all, let me say, when the U.S. forces, when our ground troops were, were still working inside Iraq up till the end of uh, December of uh, 2011, Rob, yeah. our, our, our intelligence guys were probably as finely tuned as the mil- U.S. military intelligence has ever been. They were running in-depth clandestine operations on operations. And um, and they had really gotten to the point where they had a good handle on everything. In fact, you know, we ran many wonderful operations against the insur- against the insurgents, mm-hmm. uh, Bin Laden type operations where we ran these operations at nighttime, and it was all on the basis of really good intelligence. Unfortunately, when we pulled of our people out in 2011, we pulled all those intelligence people out also, and for the most part, all those intelligence operations uh, were shut down. The CIA decided at the same time, well, since we don't have the military here anymore to help uh, provide security, we're going to cut down our operations also. So we had a couple-year void there of uh, what was really going on. We certainly had minimal, at best, intelligence operations inside Syria, Rob. So um, we've had a, 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 quite a period of time there where our eyes on target, about the best we could do was whatever signals intelligence we could capture and whatever imagery we could capture. And during that period of time... We certainly knew who the, the key players were in ISIS, some of them were, but we weren't able to keep an eye on them. 
And ISIS really had the ability to grow exponentially inside of Syria and then, of course, make their way over into Iraq earlier this year. And my hope is at this point that we're going back somehow and trying to reinitiate. A lot of those on-the-ground assets were Sunnis. They came out of the tribes that helped us during the surge. And, of course, uh, ISIS and, and all the people following it are Sunnis also, for the most part, 99% are also Sunnis. So the tribes over there, the ISIS is impacting on tribes, and many of them have fallen in with ISIS, probably out of fear. Uh, others have been uh, standing a little bit standoffish and not quite jumped aboard yet, and hopefully we have the ability to go back and reinitiate a lot of those old contacts we had and try to get something working again, which will provide us the kinds of intelligence we need to fight an now, President Obama and uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, Prime Minister Harper, and uh, the rest of the NATO country member countries' uh, heads are in Wales, and they're trying to, I understand, put together a uh, a fast or swift response team that would be able to get a number of troops to a a member country within 48 hours. As a, as a member of the military, a commander with several years' experience, will this work? <laughs> well, listen, I, I actually did a, a, a Fox television hit and talked briefly about that today. The International mm-hmm. Rapid Response Force, my goodness, can you imagine how long it's going to take to put something like that together yeah. uh, to decide what the chains of command are going to be, what the rules of engagement are going to be? Uh, frankly, in Afghanistan, you know, we have the ISAF, the International Security Assistance Force, NATO's a player over there, and uh, all of our various countries have essentially been fighting under different rules of engagement. So when you talk about the complexity of trying to put some international rapid response force together, the rhetoric sounds great. It all sounds wonderful. But the application and the organization and the time it's going to take to do it tells me that we're a couple years away from having one that's truly effective, maybe maybe three to six months away from having something that uh, essentially looks like it's going to do good and can go in and do some things, but it's going to take a long time before we have an effective force that can really do much. And, and, and a lot of the talk about that international force also deals with, uh, with Putin and with Russia and the Ukraine right now, and I'm sure uh, Vladimir Putin's looking at this and kind of snickering and laughing and saying, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. So. Yeah. It's a great idea, and it sounds good on paper, and, and, and maybe it'll work, but I think it's going to be much more complex, much more difficult than it sounds right out of the gates. Is it, is, you know, the way I see it is, here you've got a, a, a number of nations trying to use diplomacy, where I don't think diplomacy is the answer right now. I keep waiting for President Obama to figure out how he's going to use sanctions on, oh on ISIL, you know, we're going to use, yeah, I don't think it's going to work either. Not that they don't have, you know, they've got some pretty heavy-handed economic yeah. activity going on, $2 million a day in oil revenues that they're selling on the black market. There are certainly things that could be done to undermine their ability to uh, to conduct some kinds of trade and commerce, but that's not what's going to shut down ISIS by any means. It's going to take hardcore, ultimately on-the-ground fighting, door-to-door fighting to root these guys out, and we can't leave any of them. You've got to decimate every yep. last one or so, the problem continues. So instead of a rapid response team, why don't they just get together? They're all, they're all, everybody's over there tonight having a grand old time, sitting around having cognac, smoking cigars, telling stories. Why don't they just say, hey, Harper, Canada, get over here. We're going to go in and kick some ass. You with us? And why don't they just do it? 
Yeah, no, I, I, you're either with us or you're not. Exactly. And if you're not, you better explain why. Right. And uh, we'll keep we'll keep you in mind as we pick up a lot, an awful lot of intelligence, and we'll decide who we're going to share it with. And I'm being facetious. Yeah. Certainly, Rob, because Canada has been one of our one of our most wonderful allies. I know the Canadians have suffered a lot of losses themselves in both Iraq and Afghanistan, and. And, uh, you know, when I talk about U.S. troops, I always want to talk about Canadian sacrifice, too. And as you and I talked before I came mm-hmm. on air, I've been to Canada many, many, many times. I love it up there. I love being there. I love the people. And um, so, I, you know, I, why, why aren't they doing that tonight? I don't know. I mean, I'm ecstatic that the, that the Prime Minister of Cameron has gotten uh, Pre- President Obama off dead center a little yeah. bit. I think President Obama should have been embarrassed. Uh, somebody asked me on Fox, what should our president be doing? I said, well, what he ought to be doing is calling David Cameron and asking David Cameron what he ought to be doing, because he does. You know, our president, Obama, doesn't really know what he ought to be doing. David Cameron's kind of leading us all right now. And frankly, Angela Merkel is doing things herself. You know, yeah. the Germans have already started supplying equipment and supplies to the Kurds. The U.S. said we would. We haven't done it yet. So um, all right, it, you it's, open very, the, it's so complex. You open the door, so I'm just going to open it a little further. Your Vice President Joe Biden yesterday said, we take care of those who are grieving, and when that's finished, they should know we will follow them to the gates of hell until they are brought to justice. And then he said, because hell is where they'll reside. What happened to Joe Biden? Well, I, you know, I just, I wonder if that's his uh, first shot out of the gates as he tries to run for president you know, whether or not Hillary's going to run a little bit up in the air still, and I know mm-hmm. Joe Biden's standing in the wings, hoping it's going to be him. I had to laugh when he said that. I mean, it sounds great. The rhetoric is sure. wonderful. Uh, Joe's not going to be there when we chase them into the gates of hell, so it's easy for him to talk about. But once again, we're talking about, you know, our, our, our service men and women having to be the ones that do things like that. And yeah. it's great rhetoric, but it's, you know, it means sacrifice once again. But it, but is that what the American people needed to hear, that someone was actually coming forward and talking the talk? Oh, yeah, no. We, well, to the extent that the American people are paying attention, and they don't always pay attention, some people probably wondering what the heck he was talking about. That's how attentive many folks here are in the media. But, yeah, and I have to wonder if he didn't get a call from the White House shortly after he did that, and they asked him to tone it down a little yeah. bit because it embarrasses the president, much as when the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs got a little bit ahead of the White House there and uh, had to come back the next day and tone their comments down just a little bit. I, I was, it was great to hear the Vice President say it, uh, but we need to hear that from the President. I was, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and uh, you know the conversation basically was the same as you and I are having right now. And, and I, had a, I had an epiphany. It happens once in a while, Craig. Don't look so surprised. Uh, can you just imagine if this had happened when and if Hillary Clinton was president? Here you would have, you know, I, you know the nice part about this, and, and and people laugh when I say this, but you would have not the not only the knowledge of one president, but the knowledge of another president. You'd have two for the price of one. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's right. You would. Yeah. And, and I have to say something. I am no fan of Hillary Clinton by any means, Rob. And it's clear that she made mistakes in uh, in Benghazi. But, but but she's the kind of person who learns from her mistakes, mm-hmm. unlike, I think, President Obama. And, uh, and I think she's an, a lot more decisive than him. I think she really wants to be a chief executive, wherein he doesn't. He's, he's found it to be a little more work than he expected it was going to be. And, you know, he loves going to the fundraisers because when he's there, everybody's patting him on the back and 
they're all having that glass of cognac or brandy or whatever and, uh, you know, smoking their cigars and saying, what a great job you're doing, Mr. President. But then he has to come back to reality where he has to go to the White House and, and sit there in the Oval Office and make decisions. And it doesn't appear that he really wants to make decisions about things that, he's, that he either doesn't know about or is not interested in. So <laughs> I agree. Had Hillary been there, I'm sure Bill would have been next to her. And they'd have both been coming up with some decisions that probably in the, in the long term would have been better than the kinds of decisions we're getting out of this guy. Do you think that Boots will hit the ground in order to squelch ISIS? Uh, ISIS? Do I think Boots will hit the ground? Yes. Uh, here's, well, listen, I, I like your question a lot because, you know, well, let me say this first. You know, we talk now about having to go in and train the Iraqi army. I mean, they mm-hmm. all crumbled and ran when ISIS came in. And the fact of the matter is we don't have to retrain them because they are trained. We need to do some retraining, but the real failure of the Iraqi army was their leadership. And, you know, core leadership is the most important thing that makes an army work if it hadn't been, you know, and that's that's why leaders often get fired, World War II being a good example of, uh, you know, Eisenhower fire, firing uh, U.S. officers now and then and replacing them with people who would fight. Maliki, as prime minister, went in after the Americans left, and he did literally decimate the senior officer corps in the Iraqi army. Those Iraqi officers who had worked alongside Americans uh, during the whole war, who had a great rapport with Americans, who were well-trained, frankly, many of them schooled and educated here in the United States. Maliki booted them out. He put in his cronies. I had first-hand experience after U.S. forces left. Rob, I've been to Iraq 13 times uh, since U.S. forces left. I worked over there for a while with one of the, with the, with the former commander of Iraqi Special mm-hmm. Operations Forces who had commanded the force for a long time. He was a real tough, no-nonsense guy, well-known to U.S. Special Operations Forces. And when Maliki, first chance he had, he fired the guy and brought in a, a know-nothing. Ironically, he had to come back about a year later, Maliki, he'd come back about a year later and say, I made a mistake, will you come back? We need your help. Indeed, they did need their help. There were a lot of terrorist acts going on that the new commander, I was told, never left the office. The wow. old commander, my friend, was out on every operation with his troops. And that's what those Iraqi troops, who, who probably need some retraining, but more likely need uh, good leadership. And those leaders are still there. Those, those Iraqi officers who were serving are still there, and hopefully the new prime minister will call them in. Now, your question Cur- about... Colonel, Colonel we're going to have to hold on to this because you and I have to go to our news break. Exo Nation. Colonel Cowan is my guest. We'll be back right after the news. Don't go away. Hi, this is Rob McConnell, just letting you know that the X Chronicles newspaper is now available online at www.xzonebookclub.com. All past editions and current editions of the X Chronicles newspaper are available for 99 cents. That's www.xzonebookclub.com, and that's 99 cents U.S. per edition. And don't forget, the X Zone store is now open as well for all of your X Zone Nation merchandise www.thexzonestore.com Do you have a disease that you would like to alleviate through a natural means? Have you been contacted by angels, ghosts, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? 
or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services free of charge for first-time clients contacting me during the month of April. These free consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you have always wanted to explore these types of experiences but were skeptical or simply could not afford them, then take advantage of this free special offer. Contact me through my website, aguidinglight, spelled L-I-T-E, dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. Welcome back, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Cowan is our special guest this hour. www.colonelcowan.com All right, uh, sorry I had to interrupt you uh, to get the news in. Uh, Bill, I know what you and I are talking about is more important than the news that, that gets reported. But I have to ask you the question, what about boots on the ground? Well, uh, here's the deal with boots on the ground. Of course, our president, and frankly, my, let me say my own son has made uh, five tours to Afghanistan, Rob. So, I'm, you know, my family's engaged in the war, and he's yep. slated, even though at this late hour, to go back uh, one more time. So I don't think anybody uh, wants no more American or Canadian boots on the ground more than me. Uh, but I think we have to be realists at the same time. We, we are, in my judgment, going to have to put some people on the ground, not American combat forces. And I think the, the White House will end up cutting a real fine line here. When they say no boots on the ground, that's, that means organized military units such as we've had overseas these many years fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. That does not mean advisors, which is a little bit different. And I, I would note that I was an advisor, in, uh, as you noted in the introduction, advisor in Vietnam for two and a half years and got wounded three times as an advisor. So the last thing the White House wants is anybody wounded or any casualties. But those things happen when you're an advisor. And here's why advisors are important. Right now the White House wants to, and the Pentagon probably, they'll probably accept advisors up to the division level, which means far away from the fighting, or the brigade level, once or regiment, once again, far, pretty far away from the fighting. Battalion, you're getting closer to the fighting company level. Now you can actually be engaged in the fighting. And what happens is that our pilots overhead are going to want, before they start dropping airstrikes in places where there are a lot of troops or a lot of civilians, they are likely going to want people on the ground to help designate the targets. When you have two combat units, uh, an Iraqi force as an example, and an ISIS force engaged in battle, close order combat, where aircraft can turn the tide of that battle, uh, you want to have Americans down there who pilots can talk to. They want to talk to an American. They don't want to talk to an Iraqi. Or they want to talk to a Canadian. They don't want to talk to a Kurd. And I think that's the the point where we'll have boots on the ground, although it won't be in that term of, uh, of regular conventional units. It'll be, you know, small units of American or Canadian forces out there, British maybe, out there operating forward with some fighting units. That's that's going to be required if we're going to really be able to sock it to ISIS and if we don't want to suffer fratricide, friendly casualties down there because bombs are dropped on the wrong people. We've got the uh, uh, yet another anniversary of uh, 9-11, just a few days away. Do you think that there is any threat 
from ISIS or any other terrorist group that there may be another attack on America on September the 11th or an American target like Benghazi was? Yeah, I, I tend to think of it a little bit differently. I, You know, a lot of people want to put a lot of uh, a focus on anniversaries. I don't always feel that way. I, with my background uh, in dealing with terrorists and terrorism, I always find, I, I typically find that they want to strike at something when conditions are right for them, when everything on their side is, is right. And uh, that may end up being 9-11. It may end up being 10-11. They're going to want to put plans and operations together. Now, that's for for bigger uh, and bigger activities or operations. Certainly, a, a little one or two man cell maybe go out and do something. Uh, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised. ISIS needs to do something sooner rather than later, Rob. They need to mm-hmm. get their name on the map. They're out there right now, flying the flag as the preeminent uh, radical Islamist movement out there. They formed the caliphate. They said they're going to fly their flag over the White House. Uh, They want to do something without a doubt. I don't know that they're as wrapped to 9-11 as everybody else. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some small thing on 9-11, but I also won't be surprised if some relatively small thing, I don't think it would be a big thing. They haven't had time yet. If some small thing happens because they want that notoriety, my goodness, if they could do something as simple as kill one or two a policeman, as an example, here in the United States, uniform policeman, and, and have a picture taken of those policemen with somebody holding an ISIS flag, a dead policeman, somebody holding an ISIS flag behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be on the World Wide Web uh, immediately, out there on social media, and it would be an incredible recruiting tool. As small an, an, an action as it was, it would be a, an incredible recruiting tool for ISIS, and that's what they still want. They want... They want to be seen as the number one terrorist organization. They pushed al-Qaeda off the map. They want to continue to push them further off. And incidentally, I think I mentioned before that the al-Qaeda in Syria, many of those people have slipped over to join ISIS because ISIS is the big guys, al-Qaeda is the little guys. So we're going to see more al-Qaeda entities around the world, I believe, trying to link themselves and be aligned with the, with the big guys in ISIS. But is something going to happen? I also like to say that when we talk about it, as we're talking about it now, the notion isn't to scare people. We're not trying to scare people. The notion is to get people ready for something like this happening so that when it does, they're not in complete and utter shock. They say, oh, yeah, we kind of thought that was coming. So I think it's good to talk about these things, but not as a fear factor, more as a get-prepared factor. In your opinion, what will it take for America to realize and respond to the influence of radical Islam from within? Like, what's going to oh, happen? Oh, what a great, yeah, yeah, what a great question, Rob. I, I don't know what the answer is to that. This administration, uh, you know, won't accept it yet. They, they, don't, they don't think that we're in a war on terror. They don't like to use the word radical um, Islamists. Or, I mean, they're very careful in their choice of words, and I think that has an impact. I think it allows... It lets the left keep running the dialogue here, and the fact of the matter is, and certainly the people in the U.K. know better, as David Cameron has pointed out, they've got real problems in the U.K., and they've seen it. Uh, But it's getting worse before it's getting better, and of course that young soldier who was beheaded on a London street, I think it was London, here last year, I mean, that's, that's pretty much in your face over there, and I think... I think the, the British have a keener understanding of the threats they face from within uh, than we do here in the United States. And it may take, of course, we had the Sarnoff brothers, the, the uh, Boston, Boston bombers. Mass, the, uh, yeah, the Boston bombers. You know, those guys were a couple of radical Islamists, and that got its news for a little while. But 
America's a big place. Canada's a big place. A little isolated incident here, an isolated incident there. It doesn't really bring us to our senses yet, and I hope at some point we get there. But I also have to put a backdrop in here. I've spent a good part of my adult life, way past my time in the Marine Corps, and as I mentioned, many trips to Iraq here in the recent years. Uh, There are many millions of Muslims out there who are on our side, unequivocally on our side, who are opposed to the radicals. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't want to believe that, but uh, but it's true. And I had some some real good friends I was working with who would have taken a bullet for me, without a doubt. And my son, who had his own uh, interpreter over there in Afghanistan, would say the same thing. I don't think I'm being naive about that, and I don't think others are either. When they say we have to realize that there's a lot of moderate Muslims out there, yeah. what we have failed to do. We, the United States, and probably Canada too, we have failed to engage the moderate Muslims directly in the fight against the radicals, and they've been reluctant to come out on their own. There have been some. There have been some pretty uh, uh, widely uh, critical people, Muslims, widely critical of the radicals, but they don't get the kind of attention that they ought to get. You've got a couple up there in Canada I've listened to before. They don't get the attention they need from the general media, and they don't get the support either, so... I, I was just uh, I was just remembering, Colonel, that when was it earlier this year, where a couple of Las Vegas police officers were killed while they were sitting down and having their lunch, and the the perpetrators covered their bodies with a flag of swastika. Is there a connection between that and what ISIS may be? wanting to get across to Americans? And could this have been a message back to ISIS that, hey, there are those of us over here that are ready and want to participate? Or was this, an, in your opinion, a random act of violence? I, I tend to think it was a was a random act, or they would have maybe draped themselves in something besides a, a, a Nazi flag, mm-hmm. a, an old swastika flag. But I do think, having said that, I think it really represents uh, the kinds of problems we face because uh, these just happen to be a a couple of people who were radical in their own right, and they weren't uh, Muslim extremists. But believe me, there are Muslim extremists here in the United States who themselves, with no relationship at all to ISIS, and, and in Canada also, Rob, yeah. with no relationship whatsoever to either ISIS or al-Qaeda, much like the Boston bombers, could uh, uh, could could undertake actions on September 11th or any other date. And you know what, we just all have to be kind of paying attention on those days, hold our breath, and and get through them. But I, I think the fact of the matter is we're going to see something sooner rather than later out of ISIS. And I, I'd also note that we had Senator Tom Coburn uh, from Oklahoma, I think, who about 10 days ago gave a, uh, an interview in which he said ISIS was going to destroy an American city. Now, what I find interesting about that is that he sits on the Intelligence Committee. Mm-hmm. And we also had the Secretary of Defense uh, less than a week later saying that ISIS was the biggest, most imminent threat we ever faced. He also sees intelligence reports that most of us don't see. So in both cases, it makes me wonder, well, are, are they reading things uh, that we are not going to see and probably won't see until there's some kind of after-action report? I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's worth considering. There's There may be some things out there that the American public's not being told or the Canadian public not being told about. What, in your opinion, sir, would would make a Canadian or an American citizen want to go over and fight with these people, become members you of know, ISIS? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob, and I appreciate you asking me. You know, it, there's a there's a, a sense of excitement and adventure and, and a rebellion in a lot of younger people, 
and they don't have to be necessarily be uh, Muslims to have that feeling. They can be inspired. It's it, maybe it's a lot like uh, these kids watching video games, and then they go out and and you know do a random mass shooting somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's just some people that have this thing inside them that says, I, "Oh man, that looks so exciting! I want to be part of it. I want to be sitting on top of one of those tanks with one of those big black." flags flying with a with a beard and an AK-47 in my it's a total sense of adventure for whatever reason it's a you know it's a disassociation with the real world in which they live and well, they want to go and be, be part of something and there are clearly people in joining ISIS who are not who are not Muslims who convert to Islam once they're there that brings up another point you know uh, yesterday I was talking to uh, Ryan Monroe uh, Ryan Monroe I'm sorry, Ryan Morrow from the uh, from the Clarion Project, and I was asking him, why are so many prisoners converted to uh, Islam while they're in jail? Is this a recruiting method? Yeah, what a, that's another great question, and frankly, I don't know. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't thought about that for a while. I certainly mm-hmm. knew that was going on, and uh, probably a number of people being radicalized in American prisons. I don't know about uh, your prisons there in Canada. Well, most we likely, there's a lot of. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what, a, what a great point. So here you have guys who are criminals off the street who are radicalized because of their dislike uh, for, for, the, for America or for the criminal justice system here or for, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. who become uh, Muslims. And, and indeed, I have to believe that some number of them would become radicals. I mean, you could go back and look at the radical Black Panther Party and other radical black uh, entities here in Amer- the history of America. Probably any one of those people in those organizations could have become a radical Muslim and made their way to ISIS. I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, there's no question the recruiting pool for ISIS is pretty darn big. It's really big, maybe bigger than we realize it, and that puts the burden and the onus on law enforcement. But and, law enforcement, uh, uh, you know, is it, doesn't law enforcement have its hands tied, Colonel? Because we know that there are uh, up to 22 communities, and one of them is blatantly called... Islamburg in New York. Islamburg is it's, it's a municipality where, according to evidence that has been obtained through intelligence sources, people, women are being trained in combat. Women are being trained to use AK-47s, shooting them into lakes. You have a terrorist. You've got a training camp, and they can't do anything about it. Isn't it amazing that those kinds of things can happen and exist? And the reason they can is because if the police were to try to take some kind of action against them, mm-hmm. they would certainly be called uh, racist or they'd be, you know, they, there would be all kinds of labels. The police would end up being the bad guys and, and not, you know, they, they, they'd be the ones who were at fault, not the, the actual people yeah. who they were trying to, to safeguard the rest of America against, and that's the culture and society that we live in right now, unfortunately. And no. it's, uh, you know, it's not right. Many people say, Big Brother is watching us too closely. And my response to them is, hey, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. Well, I always knew that when I was traveling overseas, uh, which, which I have done frequently, above and beyond just those trips to Iraq. I always knew that any telephone call, any email communication was mm-hmm. being watched by NSA, and I had no problem whatsoever with that because I understand what they're doing sure. and why they're doing it. And uh, that's going to be the way that we find 
uh, a lot of the problem children that we're looking for out there. I'm being facetious saying problem children, but a lot of the people we actually want to know something about, that's where we're going to we're going to find it through NSA. I'm not as happy about them watching me when I'm here in the States because I do consider, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a guy that goes out and gets in trouble, and neither are you, I'm sure. So yes. I resent a little bit having somebody looking over my shoulder the whole time. But when I'm overseas, I don't question it one bit. How soon do you, how soon do you see a close, a close to this situation with ISIS? Is it going to be months? Is it going to be years? Is it going to be another Vietnam? It's going to be years, Rob, because we're going to start out fighting in Iraq and incidentally Syria. Fighting and bombing in Syria hasn't really been part of the equation yet. The administration is counting on the Iraqi security forces and the Kurds to fight to get them out of Iraq, but they Mm -hmm. haven't said who's going to go fight them in Syria. It's it's going to be more than years. It's going to be, uh, you know, the lifetime probably of of a lot of your listeners' children, because ISIS may end up getting pushed to the side, much as Al-Qaeda, for the most part, has. They're still a threat, but they've been pushed to the side. But I'm afraid the ideology's out there, and somebody else will surface. Colonel Cowan, please stand by. We've got to take our final break. ExoNation. Colonel William Cowan is our special guest. www.colonelcowan.com. And the good Colonel and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. As we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag, Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com.
Hi, this is Rob McConnell, just letting you know that the X Chronicles newspaper is now available online at www.xzonebookclub.com. All past editions and current editions of the X Chronicles newspaper are available for 99 cents. That's www.xzonebookclub.com and that's 99 cents U.S. per edition. And don't forget, the X Zone store is now open as well for all of your X Zone Nation merchandise www.thexzonestore.com Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist Facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Explanation. Welcome back. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Cowan, retired from the United States Marine Corps, is our special guest this hour. First of all, uh, Colonel, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your radio show and how we can listen in from around the world. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for asking, Rob. First, it's been a privilege to be on with you. I'm on, uh, I'm on radio with an old friend of mine, uh, former Ambassador Dick Carlson. He was the director of the Voice of America and uh, so he's a he's a very interesting guy. He's his, he's the father of a fellow named Tucker Carlson, who's pretty well known in American media circles. Mm-hmm. Tucker's on Fox these days. And uh, so Dick and I have done this show for about ten years. We call it Danger Zone. We typically uh, have had some a lot of high level uh, uh, guests on there, uh, not just authors, but really high level members of government. We've had two or three CIA directors over the years, a number of Secretary of Defense's, FBI directors. Uh, senior CIA and FBI people, so we often have some uh, pretty interesting guests, and we we have a lot of levity on it. We, we're not afraid to laugh and joke, oftentimes at ourselves. It's pretty free-flowing, uh, and it's the kind of show that people can learn a lot from and, and enjoy at the same time. We are going to be broadcasting, li- uh, not live, we're actually taped in, uh, on the morning, Saturday, 7 o'clock, Washington, D.C., a.m. 1500, found also on the web at Federal News Radio, and we're getting our website up, which is www.dangerzoneradio.com. And I know you're getting your web zone up. We're getting ours up, up also, Rob. So people can find us there. And of course, there's always things on the web about Dick and me. But for the most part, much like your show, in the sense that you're trying to inform the public out there, and often you're finding guests uh, that they wouldn't normally run into. And of course, you've asked me a lot of really wonderful questions here tonight that I think. You know, typical audiences want to have some sense of, and Dick and I do yeah. the same thing on our show. So, well, that's great, Colonel. Like I said, it's been an honor and privilege talking to you. Um, what are your final 
comments for the Exxon Nation tonight? Well, look, I, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about ISIS for a long, long time, and mm-hmm. I always like to remind people that it's never about trying to scare people. It's about trying to inform them and educate them, as, as uh, you're trying to do, Robin. It's, we, we want people to be aware of their surroundings. We want them to know who the enemy is, and we want them to know who the enemy isn't. And uh, we just, you know, a, a better, well-informed population is going to be more understanding. When we have another 9-11, or whatever it tends to be, big or small, or, or another uh, incident like the Boston Marathon, big or small, in this country, America, or yours in Canada, uh, people just need to understand that these things happen. They're going to happen some more. I've been in Israel when the Israelis were attacked and when they were under attack, and the, frankly, and I've been in Beirut in the worst days of the war. And the fact of the matter is, life goes on, and uh, it's up to all of us not to live under fear, but to you know to make the best of our lives and get around these incidents when they happen and continue to move forward. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. against that backdrop, we have people out there trying to defeat ISIS, Al Qaeda, and the likes of them both. When we start living in fear, isn't that when they start really winning? Uh, they've absolutely won if we're all living in fear. Yeah. And you know, I have to admire the Israelis the way they are. I was traveling around with a senior foreign ministry person one time, and every time there was a little alert of something happening, his cell phone went off, and he was getting really, uh, literally real-time intelligence about the threats and about the movement of of operatives, of of bad guys, Hamas guys with bombs, and he was kind of watching it, Israeli (laughs) intelligence watching the whole thing. And yet the life went on. They didn't change their routine. You know, people still go to the markets. They still go to restaurants. They still travel. They just... They have to continue to live their lives and not live in fear. Colonel, again, thank you. I wish you the best of success with your radio show. I know it's going to be a hit. And once again, to all of the members of the military, wherever you are, Canadian, American, Australian, British, to any member of the military who is out there protecting our freedom and our democracy, thank you. It is appreciated. Colonel, Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rob. Been a privilege being on with you. Good night, sir. Exonation. My guest this hour has been Colonel Bill Cowan. www.colonelcowan.com. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away. <laughs> 